there will always be an opportunity to make money because it's not the stuff, it's the people. Meet Kevin, the man who came from nothing and managed to make millions in the stock market, buy his own private jet, give advice to Elon Musk, and now is building a $1 billion company. He puts his success down to one simple hack that anyone can use to become rich, and he's here today to uncover his secrets. When you first start out as an entrepreneur, what matters most is not your money, it's your time. You get to find areas where there are inefficiencies. Your number one goal is how do I get that first set of capital? Triple money in stock market or 10% appreciation in real estate. Why is everyone shit? 100% what you just said is exactly why there'll never be a lack of opportunities to make money. We went from having nothing to having cool stuff to having nothing again. And it makes you wonder, is the whole game rigged? I had no freaking idea what I was doing. <laughs> You're a scumbag. Do you find that your mind is slowing down? Does it sound like his mind is slowing down? <laughs> I want to be like you. It's overwhelming. I'm sorry. What's happening with the FTX situation? I think all of that's bull Before we get into all of that, have you ever wanted to start investing but don't know where to begin? Well, that's where today's sponsor, Webull, can help. They're a powerful investing app with over 40 million downloads that allow you to invest in companies from your smartphone and your desktop. Investing can be very intimidating. I know it was when I first started. That's why they have lots of educational content baked into the app, which is handy if you don't know where to start. I also find that the chart experience on the Webull app is very smooth. It's helpful as it allows you to see real-time data of your favorite stocks. Speaking about my investing, journey, I actually started with something called a demo account, which allowed me to invest without using real money. Webull also offer this feature so you can put your skills to the test risk-free. Once you're ready to invest for real, I really like that they score each stock based on what professional analysts are saying. And for all of you more advanced investors out there, the charts also support analyst functions like comparison, double charts, and review to satisfy those of you who are a bit more analytical. If you sign up to Webull now, you'll receive up to eight free stocks by depositing any amount of money you like with Weeble UK. Welcome, Kevin. Pleasure to have you. Hey, thanks so much. This is exciting. This is really cool down here in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So what, what's it like coming to Hollywood? I know you're you're going to be asking the questions, but how is it coming from up, taking control of the show <laughs> yeah, up ready, across ready. the pond? Eh? Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty cool, isn't it? We uh, we've like walking around, but it isn't exactly what we expected from from the area, from the films we watch when we were younger. <laughs> yeah. There is that stigma like, you know, this is Hollywood. This is where the dreams are made. Um, when you come, is that what it gives off? I'm not entirely sure. Do you know, I think it's the same as, as anywhere, right? It, you have to know the areas to go to. So with, in every city, yeah. if someone just went to London with no knowledge of the place, they might end up in some street that isn't that nice. But if, if you know people here and they can direct you where to go, there's probably nice parts. So there's probably bits we haven't explored yet. Tom, I completely agree. Kevin, come to the UK with no knowledge, end up in Peckham. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, um, but no, it's good. But yeah, we're very excited to have you on. We've been following your journey for years. Um, I've actually made a list of some of the things that you've done. So obviously made millions in the stock market, launched a real estate startup, ran for governor of California, bought your own private jet, started an ETF, and even spoke directly to Elon Musk about the advertising strategy. So that sounds like a lot of stuff. Where did it all start for you? Oh, wow. Well, it all started selling real estate, actually. I, I remember uh, <laughs> I was working at Chamba Juice and I uh, thought, okay, well, there's got to be a better way to make money, especially since I worked my butt off there and they gave me a 10 cent raise. So uh, I, I was able to get into selling real estate. Surprisingly, it's really, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in America, it's not that hard to study for a license. You get, you pass the test, you get a license. 
And then all of a sudden you're a professional. And I'm like, I'm 18. I don't think you even need a license in the UK. I think I it's, think it's more like a, just, a job you just go yeah. and apply for and then you, you work just for... Wow. I, I feel like that's yeah, the case. Yeah. See, see it, the barriers, that's good mm. because the barriers aren't that high. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it, it's, it's amazing to me. Like you can become a licensed financial advisor, a realtor, a mortgage broker, uh, you know, a CPA if you want. You can do all these things. CPA may be a little bit harder out of all of those, but... You can become a white collar professional so easily. Start your own business. Y'all are all about entrepreneurship. It's amazing the opportunities that are out there. And most people just won't even go for the licenses. Mm. Which is dope. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. And then I'm 18 and I'm like, I'm a professional. Yeah, okay. I'll help sell your house. I know it. People are like, what are the schools around here? I'm like, oh, <laughs> let me find out. You know? I had no freaking idea what I was doing. But it was great because it, it, it to me, that's part of America. And you know, I moved here from Germany and my parents, they... Uh, uh, they barely spoke any English. Uh, they, uh, my father built his business. My mom was a mom, and uh, his business collapsed in the dot com bubble. So we went from having nothing to having cool stuff to having nothing again. And I'm like, okay, I'd rather have just stayed at having nothing because that sucked. How does <laughs> like, that impact you as a kid? As as a seven year old, a lot. Mm. That was really hard because you go from having friends that you're you know celebrating with and fireworks and pool parties and you know celebrated the millennium and then you know okay dot-com bubble year and a half after that and all of a sudden all of that's taken away you go from private school to regular school you go from having a home to back to the apartment that we kind of started at and then oh great now your car's repossessed you know so that cycle as a kid i think is pretty damaging because you have no control you know, I think a lot of adults are like, oh, I want to relive my childhood. I just heard another adult say that. They're like, oh, I went to a Halloween party. I got to relive being a child. I'm like, I don't want to relive being a child. <laughs> I like having control. But is it is it a good thing in some ways? Because it almost gives you a test early on to see if you are naturally entrepreneurial. Because, of course, being an entrepreneur, the journey is always like that. Yeah, it's so true. if you're someone that can handle those situations, maybe that gives you the sign that it's, it is for you. That's a good point. I mean, maybe it, uh, I don't know if any seven-year-old can really get through that well, but I guess it's what you make of it afterwards. And uh, to me, it's turned into this, like, I, I just have to keep working. So I get this really weird anxiety if I'm not working because I, I, I think, and I don't know this, but I think the inside of me is like, I'm going to go back to having my car repossessed and being that helpless mm. child if I don't just keep working. So it definitely is impactful. Mm. So how come you decided to start all of these other businesses and not just keep pumping out YouTube? I know you do a lot of mm. YouTube videos still, but during the pandemic, you're doing like seven or eight a day. And now it's more like one a day. Right. So this keep working mentality, how come you're now branching out to these other businesses and not just sticking with what worked before? Yeah, well, I, I think what works changes over time. And I think that's important for entrepreneurs to consider is if we do the same thing all the time, it's, it's hard to a keep growing and sometimes even just sustain. You know, finance and entrepreneurship was amazing and hot during the pandemic, but it really wasn't that great before. I mean, you had like the Gary V's and the Dan Locks and the Cardones, you know, they were doing well before the pandemic, but every Everybody was killing it during the pandemic in finance and entrepreneurship. Now you get, you have a little bit of a slowdown. So it's a cycle, right? Like you'd mentioned, it's the ups and downs. And so for me, I look at, okay, well, let's take what we've created and expand that to where we think there are other opportunities to make money, whether it's a real estate startup or, you know, uh, the ETF world or brokerage world or whatever. So I'm like, sign me up for more licenses. I think I got like, I got four more tests between now and uh, five weeks from now. So I'm <laughs> like on my way over here, I, I put a little magnet uh, or it's not a, it's a suction cup on the windshield. You shouldn't do that. They'll pull you over in California. I do it anyway. Anyway, I put a suction cup on the windshield and my phone 
And uh, I just play the little video lectures mm. of studying for this series 24 test I'm taking or whatever. So. so do you need that to do the ETF and the real estate uh, startup? Or, uh, or is it something you're taking a precaution just in case in the future they require more like, um, well, stuff it's, like that? Well, it's tricky because what we're trying to do with the uh, high level overview, real estate company, buy real estate, hold it, manage it. So basically rent out to tenants, you know, buy crap that's like a burned down house or a moldy house, fix it up, rent it out to folks. Well, in the future, what we want to do is sell the ownership of those properties uh, through funds. So mm -hmm. basically like where somebody watching your show could be like, I want to invest in a portfolio of all those properties. Well, in order for me to sell that on YouTube, I have to be a broker dealer. So I'm like, all right, let's get all those licenses. And then I'm like, okay, well, in order to be a broker dealer, you have to pass the seven, but then you need all these compliance positions. So you need a compliance officer, which is like a 14, a financial operations manager, which is a 27, the 24 for some other compliance, all these licenses. And so what I've always told myself is uh, if I'm going to hire a team, which I have a team and everybody's going to get all their licenses, we have an in-house counsel, for example, that works for us. They're going to get their licenses. I'm going to have every license any team member of mine has for two reasons. Number one then I know what they're up against. But number two, if they leave, I can fill their job. <laughs> I find yeah. somebody else because I've gotten rug pulled before where like I relied on one person to have a license and I didn't have it myself. And I got set back six months because of that. It all ended up working out, but I'm like, that's never happening again. Mm. <laughs> I'll get it myself. <laughs> How do you manage to stay so sharp and actually keep learning? Because I mean, as you get older, I don't, how old are you at the moment? Yeah, About 31. Th 31. Yeah. Do you find that your mind is slowing down or is it just as fast as it always Does is? Does it sound like his mind is slowing down? <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I'm I'm saying, I'm I, I want to be like you. I'm almost, it's overwhelming. I'm sorry. No, it's a great <laughs> thing. Great. It's a great thing. We've had a, so many guests on this podcast. I think by far your energy levels oh, are, are the highest oh. and you're doing so, so many things. How do you control it all mm. in your mind and, and, and stay focused on, on each of them and make sure that everything's going as it should do? Yeah, I mean, great questions. And, and uh, on energy, it's, uh, I, I think it just goes back to that anxiety. I used, my father-in-law was like, you should take Saturdays off. When when I was a real estate agent, I'm like, but that's when people buy homes. <laughs> so he's like, just, you need a day off, put your phone in a drawer. And I'm just sitting there like, this this is great, I have a day off. Yeah. <laughs> I could not what handle do I do? it. Yeah. I couldn't handle it, I, I had to cancel that. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so energy and then your, how do I balance it all? Uh, well, I mean, a lot of it is, uh, I find, uh, if I don't have a good routine, it's impossible. So I try to be up before five because nobody's bothering me between like five and eight. Uh, and then I could do my YouTube content, which is mostly finance. So being on the West coast, I'm kind of like a normal wake up on the East coast anyway, that way. It sounds crazy. Like, oh, wake up at five or even before five, but it's like seven thirty or eight in the East coast. And uh, we're kind of following the finance markets over there anyway. So I can get that done. And then I can go in the office and just work our checklists and work with people. And the YouTube stuff's already done for the day, mostly, unless there's breaking news. So uh, it's easier that way. Uh, that that helps me separate it, right? What what does a typical day look like? Because I know yeah. there were times in your life where you'd be waking up at five, getting on the yep. treadmill while researching, <laughs> yep. trying to edit a video while doing that, you know, doing yeah. so many things at once. Is, is that still the case? Yeah. Uh, so now I, I've, I've added some tricks to it. So one of the things that I, I do is I, I do try to wake up at five uh or if not a little bit before uh i set like a little sleep cycle app so it wakes me up like 30 minutes before in a little window but what i noticed was in the past i always used to sleep or want to sleep less and i'd sleep like five or six hours and now i've realized 
anything I do during the day suffers if I don't sleep at least seven hours. And then I started tracking what I was doing during the day. And I'm like, man, there's so many efficiencies here and there and there that I could have that I don't have. And so I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, everybody gets tired by the second half of the day. So now I will run like a 30 to 40 minute run right around lunchtime in like the hot sun. Uh, and uh, so that'll be sort of my lunch break is I'll go on a run. And then afterwards I'll shower. And then I always end it kind of like on the cold or like I'm not like an ice cold shower kind of, but I'm a little cold. And it just wakes me up for the second half. So that made me a lot more efficient for the second half. That helped. And another thing that's really practical that's helped a lot is uh, I uh, cut out uh, the scrolling apps. Any mm. app on my phone that I could scroll on, I got rid of. Mm. So as much as I, I love watching them, if I walk around working, I don't work when I have those. Because it's like you go to the bathroom and all of a sudden it's like, wait, I was in there for 30 minutes. What? And you're just like on TikTok and scrolling and scrolling. Uh, no, I'll, I'll still watch that like when I sit down on a computer, but I try to do it on a computer. Uh, last thing would be a uh, checklist. And I just started this. I got like a laminator for $29. I take a piece of paper and I shove it in and it laminates. It's great. But uh, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll look at my little morning checklist. Do this, 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 this. And it's been surprisingly functional because I'll find during the day, I'm like, I got to get something done. I got to write an offer on a property or whatever. You open up your phone, software update or email is not logged in or all this bull crap that slows you down. Now I have that on my checklist to check it in the morning or at night. So it's done for the next day. Do, do you start it with day. small wins? Because I've heard a lot mm -hmm. of people say that if you just wake up and, and have a few small wins in the morning, then that sets your day up for success. I think that checklist is a perfect way to feel like you have a win. Yeah. Because I now I wake up and I have this little laminated piece of paper and I'm like, all right. And, and it's like, it can be stupid stuff. It's like, you know, put my watch on the charger because I wear it when I sleep, but I don't want it to be dead halfway through the day. So put watch on charger, you know, it, like, brush your teeth, you know, basic things like that. Or, or like I have to turn off the alarm. So when I go out to get the newspaper, I don't set the alarm off and wake up the whole family, but little things like that minimize the frustration in life. And that works really well in business too, because if you're frustrated, you can't function. Mm. How do you manage to switch your brain off? Or maybe you don't, <laughs> but when you're in bed at night, are yeah. you straight to sleep or are you, your, is your mind still racing? I usually fall right asleep. So my wife, she has a hard time falling asleep. She'll, she could take like an hour to fall asleep. Uh, for me, I, I, I'll take like an iPad and I'll sit and bed. I go, all right, I'm going to read all the, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I don't know. I just fall right asleep, but that's probably just everyone's different. I don't know. Yeah. I wish I had. That. So <laughs> when you were on the come up, did you have a wife at that point? And, uh, how would you say that, you know, entrepreneurs nowadays can balance having a, a wife or a relationship and building an empire at the same time? Yeah. I mean, for me, I met Lauren when I was 16 years old in high school. So it's, it's, she's been with me, uh, the whole time. Uh, I've never had another girlfriend or anything. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's been really useful because we've been able to work together. I mean, when I started as an agent, she was a property manager. So it was great because I'd try to find people to sell stuff to, and then she could manage it. I thought it was a fantastic team player. And so I've, I've always been very excited about what we've been able to build. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, we have children now, if we're expecting twins this month. So, uh, it's fun. We kind of have uh, a lot of, uh, I call them two sets of babies, the real babies and then the company babies. <laughs> I'm trying to grow both of them. So do you think it can work as, um, like a cheerleader? And I know Alex Amosi talks about mm. this, like a cheerleader relationship and a, I think it's a quarterback, I think he says. So someone that's playing with you, do you think it can work both ways or it, you need someone that's working with you when you're building your empire and then you get the cheerleader mm. afterwards? Uh, well, I, I guess it could. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining like 
you get into a certain stage of success in replacing your cheerleader girlfriend with a with a with a different girlfriend. <laughs> no, but I, I need to I'm make saying, a sub. Once you're finished with them, you, you can get another one. But, but is it better to have someone that works with you as you build your empire, and then when you've built your empire, I'm not saying switch it out, but either don't have one and then get a cheerleader afterwards or have a quarterback as you build and stick with that person. Yeah, see, That's it's what I'm saying. Because yeah, I'd rather have a cheerleader so I could be nurtured. I wouldn't want help on the business end. I would rather just have the, the help at home and have the things provided to me that I need. So, hmm. you know, how is it for you? Well, Lauren for me is a little bit of everything. She'll she'll give business inside and help at home. So it's it's, it's both. I'll tell you probably the worst thing to do though is, uh, is get divorced and then lose like half of all your yeah. assets. It's going to make it a lot harder for you to grow your business when, when half is going away. So uh, now I tell myself I'll just work twice as hard. <laughs> or, of course you do. <laughs> or just, just sign them up for all the debt too. And then it's mm. perfect. That's what I told Lauren. We bought our plane and I'm like, hey, you know, this is going to have like a nine and a half million dollar loan and you're going on at 50 50 <laughs> so, so you just casually dropped that you bought a plane why did you buy one yeah so uh, there's no way i would have started my real estate startup where we have to travel uh you know around different parts of the country if i didn't have a plane because i can't have four maybe more children uh and actually see them while traveling all the time commercially uh and this would be uh, sometimes it's multiple cities per day this year it's October now, the beginning of October. We've been in about 250 different cities. There's no way I could do that with, with flying commercial and have a family. So for me, it's been about uh, speed of getting where I need to go, but also uh, being able to balance running a YouTube channel, so being in the studio, running the real estate company, the brokerage side of things, the ETF stuff, while also having a family. There's, it wouldn't be possible. Why stuff. wouldn't you just buy hours on a jet versus having your own yeah. one? What's the difference and why is it better to have your own one in your opinion? Yeah, it costs about 40% as much to have my own plane because of how much I fly. Right. Okay. So like if it, you can, anybody can buy and they're great. They're like great for like Instagram marketing, everything. You get like the NetJets card. It's like 250 hours, 14,000 bucks an hour ish. That's once you factor in like the, the runway times they have in there. Uh, mine's costing me a, somewhere around $4,500 an hour to, to actually own and operate and everything because we're flying about four to 500 hours a year. So I'd have to buy a whole lot of NetJets cards. <laughs> NetJets is great, don't get me wrong, but we're flying way too much for it. So I've never bought a jet, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> How much was yours? And yeah. what's the process like buying a jet? Is it like shopping for a car or is it a little bit more complex than that? Well, uh, you kind of, rather than like going to different car dealerships, you get a plane broker. Okay. So somebody who's, you know, it's like having a real estate agent. They're like, what about this? What about this? And the first thing is like, what what is your main use? A lot of people who look at buying a jet, they're like, I, I need to get from here to Japan with no stops. And they want like the, you know, $80 million jets. I'm like, well, 99% of the time I'm going to be flying under two hours. So I need a jet that's fuel efficient for that, which sounds crazy in the jet world anyway. Most jets get... Uh, you guys probably use liters, but here in America, most jets get uh, gallons per mile. So it's the reverse of a car. Like you need multiple gallons to go a mile. That's how much right. they burn. It's insane. An insane amount of fuel. This one that I have still gets uh, three miles to the gallon. So, oh, yeah. uh, so, so we're doing good, but it's like, so you start with that, you find a plane broker, uh, you find, uh, you figure out what's your 95 plus percent usage and then get a plane that fits that profile. If you need to stop a few times to get a little further, that's better than buying a big plane and wasting money on all that fuel. So speaking yeah. of owning a private jet, yeah. is it all it's cracked up to be? Uh, well, it depends what you use it for. So I think if you buy a private jet for the luxury of, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the Bahamas, I'm going to go vacation, all this, 
you're going to get over, you'll be over it really fast. Like it, it is, uh, it, it's more of like a status thing or like a symbol. It's like, you know, buying something fancy I and mean, look what I have or whatever. And you probably won't use it a lot. So for the vast majority of people, I think it makes sense just to rent and get the little jet cards. Uh, but if you're using it for business and you're, you actually have a business purpose to fly all the time. You, you got to have it if uh, if you're going to have it in this sort of corporate environment. I mean, you even look at like Walmart or some of these companies. They have private jets for their executives because they can get to their they could they could send an executive to three or four different locations in a day compared to flying commercially, which would take a week. And the cost of you know, what you could fill up on a plane, you could put 10 people on there. So now all of a sudden, if it costs $4,000 an hour, but you divide it by 10, it's only $400 an hour, right? So the, the economics of a plane are really incredible for certain business purposes. But I'd say it's only like 1% of jet buyers are actually doing it right. <laughs> and, and how much did you spend on your jet? Is that something that you reveal? Yeah, yeah, it was $12.9 million. It was actually two, a little over $2 million over the list price for a one-year-old plane which is wild because of the massive plane shortages that exist. Mm -hmm. This plane that I have, it's a Phenom 300E. It just became the most popular business jet that exists. And the NetJets, those card companies, they're buying as many as they can get their hands on. You want to buy a new one right now, you're waiting like three years. Have you it's ever like, thought about um, just renting out your jet for like Airbnb of jets? You, you can do that. Uh, I, I, the problem is you have to ask yourself this. Uh, think about Airbnbs, first of all. The the quality control of an Airbnb usually isn't that great. Like, you know, you go into a, you know, a high-class Marriott or a Hilton, you expect a certain level of quality. Do you want to risk that difference between a Hilton quality and an Airbnb quality on a plane that has your life in its hands, right? Most mm. of the owners who are like on the side chartering out their planes, I mean, I shouldn't speak for it, I don't know, but from what I hear, they're not necessarily caring as much about the maintenance as they should, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, this Airbnb we're in at the moment, yeah. the door doesn't even open. So I can't imagine that on a, yeah. <laughs> on a jet. It's like, we can't get out. And it's then like, they're like, it's fixed. Yeah. No, it's fucking not. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Like, and everything on a plane costs $250,000. Like you want to replace the carpets, it's two fifty. dollars You want to replace a seat, it's two fifty. dollars You want to mm. put Wi-Fi in, it's two fifty. dollars It's insane. Uh, so you want to put a coffee machine in, it's $250,000. It's absolutely insane. So uh, I would not trust anyone outside of like a really reputable company to to ride in as a passenger, like a NetJets. Uh, they're great. Warren Buffett, I guess, owns them, Berkshire Hathaway or whatever. Right. But anyway, uh, well, would I rent mine out? No, uh, mostly because I don't think the people who would ride would trust an individual owner. So I would have to offer the plane for less. Well, if I offer the plane for less, then the economics don't look as good anymore because it's still going to cost me what it's going to cost me to fly it per hour. Then it's not available for me. Then I'm wearing out my pilots and I want them to be available for me also. Uh, and then I got other people pooping on my plane. I don't want that. That's a big one. Yeah. I don't even poop on my own plane. <laughs> we saved that for the stop. How does it work in terms of like pilots? So do you have a pilot that's on payroll 24 seven or two. is there a few? What, yeah. So that you have two pilots yeah. that you pay all year, yep. whether you use it or not. Yeah, that's why the crazy thing about owning a plane is 
the most expensive part about owning a plane is owning a plane, which means like it's sitting there doing nothing. So right now I told the pilots, look, I got four tests. I'm not flying for the next two weeks. And they're like <laughs> getting paid anyway. And I'm, you know, paying a hundred K for two weeks for, for that sucker just sitting there, not flying. So in that time, would they go and work for someone else or they are literally just doing nothing? I mean, theoretically they could, but uh, I, I, they, they get paid enough to probably not have to go work for somebody else. I'm sure anybody. So why are all pilots not doing that? Why fly the easy jet if you could be doing that and having days off and living this dream life? You know, why are all pilots not aspiring to be your pilot? Well, uh, you know, I, I think there's a balance of everything because sometimes we're flying five, six days a week. And mm. so we're we're putting in long days, right? I mean, when we're going three, four cities in a day, they're worn out at the end of the day. So it's not, I, I know it feels nice for them to have a couple weeks off now and they're getting paid whether they fly or not. But because I know they're getting paid whether they fly or not, guess what? I fly. Mm. <laughs> have you ever thought about um, doing like your pi uh, pi pilot's license and doing it yourself? Like we had a guest on the other day, um, uh, Mik Micaiah. Yeah, Micaiah. Yeah. And he said that he would buy a smaller jet and then he could just go right away with his friends and fly it himself. Um, would you ever do that? Because you're doing so many tests, it maybe yeah. makes sense. Uh, it, I've been asked that before. The problem with a, flying a plane is, look, any of us could fly a plane. Any of us could do it. We could go up there. If there's a problem, we could probably land it just fine. But it's those, those like, 2% of cases where you have like a bird strike or an engine failure or a fire in the cat or whatever, right? You want somebody up there who's got like 10,000 hours of like, I got this, <laughs> you mm, know? Yeah. And so like, uh, let me give you an example. My very first flight ever, which was the flight that we took delivery of the plane on, uh, we're coming in, we're supposed to land at this uh, particular airport to do uh, a real estate uh, meetup. And, uh, and the pilot looks back and waves me over. I walk over and I go, oh, what's up? Uh, you want to, sh you want to show me how beautiful this landing is going to be? And he's like, no, uh, we're going to have to do an emergency landing because we're getting a brake fail warning. Really? The plane. So when I shook the owner's hand to buy this plane, he's like, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm not going to fly it anymore for the next year or the next month because he didn't want to put hours on it. And he's like, this, like, I'm not going to mess anything up. Like, I'm going to keep it safe and clean for you in the hangar. Well, the problem was this was in a part of Texas where they had violent changes in temperatures. Mm. So they were all like one day they're 20 degrees, so below freezing. The next day they're like 90 degrees. Well, this screwed up one of the brake valves on the plane, which kind of need a brake valve. Uh, anyway, got stuck. Uh, we had to use the emergency brake. There's always two of everything on a plane, fortunately. The emergency brake worked. But I mean, you've got fire trucks around you and everything because they're like, oh my gosh, this is a full emergency landing. That was my first wake up to... Uh, to, you know, airplane ownership. But what was interesting about it was I wasn't nervous at all because that guy, he's like this combat Marine pilot. And he's like, I got this. This is what's going to happen. We're going to, you're going to see fire trucks. Don't worry about it. We're going to use the emergency <laughs> brake. We're going to fly to a different airport. That's longer. And he's got like this whole like checklist. And I'm like, sounds good, man. I'm going to go have a shot of vodka. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to be in that situation. Could I do it? Yeah. But then I'm also, am I like, think about it this way. The plane sitting there cost me $1.9 million a year doing nothing with the salaries and everything. What am I going to get that down if I cut one of the pilot salaries out? What, to 1.7? Mm. You know, so I'm shaving off 10%. It doesn't make sense. It's not worth my life or my family's life. So a lot of our audience um, may be looking at buying a plane or a jet, but more of them are probably on that other side of the scale where they're interested in getting into this game. Mm. What would your advice be for someone that wants to get into business and entrepreneurship? 
Yeah, the biggest thing is asking yourself every day, how can you provide more value? Uh, that's that's what I started with. I started with the slogan, uh, meet Kevin, uh, because my, my name is Kevin Paffrath. So my first website domain was Kevin Paffrath. And people are like, what, Kevin who, what? So I got the domain meet Kevin for like 400 bucks. But anyway, I turned that into meet Kevin, the no pressure agent providing more value. And the idea was, how can I provide people more uh, utility than the next agent? So that's how I started getting deals as a real estate agent is I'd, I'd, uh, even if they weren't my client, I'd go leave them comps because they were thinking about selling. I'd meet them at an open house and they're a buyer and I'd teach them about the real estate cycle or the market or how to calculate their payment. Whatever I could do to answer their questions uh, was what I would do. And the easy way to know what do people want is, well, what questions are people asking you? So as an agent, when people are coming in, oh, what are the school districts? Okay, well, next time I have like a sign that's like, here are the school districts and here's the real estate cycle. Let's talk about both. So little things like that were really useful. Uh, but there's a surprising amount of inefficiency left in this world. Everything that we've touched, there have been massive inefficiencies. And that's really motivating to me because mm. think about it this way. If we woke up tomorrow and we were like in a socialist environment and everybody's like, you get your thousand bucks a, you know, a month or whatever and live in this pod, well, how are you going to make money? The only way you can make money is provide value. But if everybody has the same value, there's, there's nothing you can do. And it's depressing. It's kind of like, well, what's the point? Cool thing about being an entrepreneur is you get to find uh, areas where there are inefficiencies. And I'll tell you, there are inefficiencies in everything, accounting, financial advice, real estate, lending. We're doing a fundraise for my real estate startup, House Hack, and the uh, company that's doing the fundraise. I mean, like, I, I like them, but I have to say there are a lot of inefficiencies. I'd say it to their face too, so it's no secret. But I'm like, my gosh, even in the ETF world, I'm like, holy smokes, there's so many inefficiencies. Every layer that we've touched, we're like, we could do this better ourselves. Mm. And that's actually motivating because as an entrepreneur, that's what you want. If everybody else is doing it, there's no money to be made. So that's why I always say, what's the thing is, well, how do you provide value? You know, everybody always wants to go to like the mixer and, and meet famous people, meet people or whatever, and pass out business cards and shake hands. But what good does that do you if you don't provide value to other people? And the most popular people at parties are usually the people provide it, who, who are successful in their field. And they're really good at providing value. And people are like, well, I want to be, I want to do what you're doing because you're providing value. Exactly. Nobody really wants to talk to the people who aren't providing value. So it always comes down to that. How Money did, is just value. How did you make the jump between a real estate agent and investor? And what did that look like? So when uh, in 2010, when I became a real estate agent, I, uh, I, I had this memory from being a child. And I remembered this guy was selling uh, like this Lego set at, at a, a garage sale. Uh, and he's like, you should buy this Lego set. I go, why? Is it like the greatest Lego set ever or whatever? And the guy's like, I don't know. I don't build Legos. And I'm like, what kind of salesperson are you? <laughs> so I'm like, if you're good. So I remembered that. And when I became an agent, I'm like, well, if I'm going to sell houses, I need to own a house. Mm. So uh, I, uh, uh, within a year, uh, put, I only put down like three and a half percent on my first home, bought a fixer upper. And I fixed up the home all Ikea, like Ikea kitchen, Ikea bathroom, because it was the cheapest stuff available. And everybody always bags on Ikea, like, oh, Ikea, low quality trash, you know this? Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, 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 no. The lower the price is that I could renovate this place, the easier it is for me to sell people homes at open houses. Because then at open houses, what I would do is I take an iPad 
and I'd have pictures of the before and afters and be like, look, I did all of this. I did this whole kitchen for 10 grand. And I go through the pictures and people are like, what? I thought it was going to cost 50 grand. I'm like, Ikea. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I hear people do that all the time. They they actually renovate the house as they would want to live in it versus, you know, to the bare minimum that's okay for renting out. So that might be yeah, a big problem for lots of people. Well, the, the problem I think in, in America is we have this belief that as soon as you buy a house, uh, you have to make it yours. Mm. America is all about customization. Mm. Like, you know, put your name on it, put your taste on it. Oh, it's a representation of you. I think all of that's bull crap. Like, I think a representation of you is who you are as a person and how you interact with people, not the crap that you have. Uh, and so uh, the house stuff is a perfect example of that, where you'll get contractors come in and go, well, you know, you want this kitchen to be yours, so... You know, you could spend 50, but you could also spend 100 and then it'll have this waterfall, this or whatever. And, you know, this is ridiculous. Like I, I look at, I'll give you an example. We have uh, these, we, uh, one of these properties that, that we use as an office had these old like baby blue grandma tiles in, in the bathroom. And you look at them, you're like, okay, anybody's going to tear this crap out. And like nasty tiles. And so. We had a glazer come in for like 250 bucks and they basically spray paint the tiles white. And uh, it just, uh, it was like two days ago. I'm in that bathroom and I'm washing my hands, looking at that glazed tile and I'm like, I totally forgot we glazed this. It looks like a new product. And that's what happens is even if I spent, you know, five grand retiling all that stuff, it would have become normal so quickly. And so the way to look at it is, well, if normal is white tile, then did it really matter that I went from, you know, crap and spend $250 to normal? Or do you spend five grand and go down to normal? What? I'd rather spend 250 and go to normal because I make money that way. I save money, I spend less money. Do you ever run into issues of like buy cheap, buy twice though? And then you wish that you had just spent more money in the first place to not have to deal with the headache? Or no. does it always typically work out? In construction, I'll tell you, it, the more you spend, the more frustrated you're gonna be. It's so bad the construction here's another actual place for entrepreneurs you want to you want to figure out how to make money is do construction better it's really hard construction is miserable everything goes wrong people try to rip you off uh and and sometimes unintentionally too it's just a horrible industry uh but people who are in construction they know this and what i find is you buy that like you buy an expensive faucet online the plumbers you hire have no idea how to install it you buy the cheap faucet off the shelf you can install it right away. And guess what? It's broken. You go to Lowe's and buy a new one. <laughs> like it's net way easier to buy stuff that's available off the shelf. I get that for a lot of uh, things like, uh, you know, you, you buy like a cheap computer or whatever. And you're like, okay, well, I need a, I need, I needed it to do something. It doesn't. So you have to buy twice, right? Mm. And that's a pisser. That sucks. But in construction, it comes down to the individuals that you're hiring and uh, you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs to get somebody to actually do a good job. But again, there's an opportunity. You actually become a professional and take care of people as an entrepreneur in construction. You can make a ton of money as a contractor. I do agree. Like It's so hard to find good people. I yep. mean, we recently had an extension mm. put on loads of nightmares with that. You I'm know, sorry. We won't, won't say too much about that. Then we wanted you, you, a- you, well, As soon as you said extension, I'm, that's yeah, all I oh, to say. It was a nightmare. I mean, obviously it was mainly his uh, issue to deal with, but then we wanted a, a green room, like a content review room yeah. cinema. Finding the right people to do that was just a nightmare as well. Cool after We probably call paid after call. over the market value for what we got, but because they did a visualization, this is how it's going to look. The process beforehand was so good. 
they got our business. But so I, that's I, the inefficiency. I just feel like it's a, a conversation me and Curtis have very often when we're trying to find someone to do something, just, you know, some sort of third party thing that we need. It's just, why is everyone shit? You know, no, <laughs> no one does what they're supposed to be doing. 100%. What you just said is exactly why there'll never be a lack of opportunities to make money. I completely in, agree. In the modern world, there will always be an opportunity to make money because it's not the stuff. It's the people. Mm-hmm. As business, business money is all about people. If you provide value to people, you take care of people, you make money. It's that simple. Uh, you rip people off, you get a bad reputation, you do crap work, y- you won't make money. <laughs> it's really simple. Do you think there's more opportunities in America? This is another thing yeah. that we've talked about recently. Is in the UK, things seem to have less inefficiencies than mm. America. And maybe because it's a, a wider market as well, mm. more uh, mediocre entrepreneurs can succeed versus you wouldn't see those same people succeeding, in our opinion, in the UK. Yeah, I feel very strongly about this. I think it's it's easier to become successful in the United States than the UK. And there's a lot of funding available. It, it, that's how we feel. But how do you feel? So I, I can think about, I'm going to try to think about Germany from this point of view, uh, just because I was born in Germany, a family in Germany. I don't think I could do a fraction of what I've done here in Germany. Yeah. Uh, I think you have a tighter regulation. It's harder to get those licenses I was talking about. Probably less inefficiencies because everything's a little bit more socialized in Europe. So you're more in that direction. You're still very capitalistic, like cowboy in America. Uh, like, you know, you look at look at somebody like Elon Musk. I don't know that he would really do well if he started in Europe because the regulations are so tight. You don't actually reward that cowboyism. I'll give you an example. Here, uh, Tesla just got in trouble for putting in the uh, wiggle remover for certain cars or whatever, which is like, hey, if you're driving on autopilot, you need to touch the wheel every so often. They put some code in that removed that. Well, that's like against the law. That's like a cowboy thing to do. Like, how could you do that? Well, so you don't have to touch the steering wheel at all and it would just drive. Exactly. I wish I had that on mine. Everybody does, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it was only, it was called like Elon mode because it was only for some people, but the code was probably available to others as well. So uh, the the regulators here in America, they're like, how could you do this? But but what did you learn from doing that? You know, it's almost kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Like, is that actually better? Because as a Tesla driver, I kind of think the nag is annoying and it's stupid and it doesn't it, it does no good. So I actually think that kind of regulator mindset is very kind of pro break the rules a little and we'll work with you. Like that's America, right? You break a little bit of stuff, just just don't go extreme and like we'll work with you. In Europe, no way, man. You'd get blacklisted. Uh-uh. <laughs> so easier in America for sure. Because could you say the same thing for like maybe Uber? I know that they had a lot of lawsuits when they were starting out, but it's like, right, start in America, I presume, grow it really big. And then when we run into these problems, we've got the cash and the funding to deal with the lawsuits and everything will fold and you know adapt around us. Whereas yeah. if you were to start that in the UK, I just don't think you would even get that. Uh, well, 100%, especially y'all in the UK with the taxi rules y'all have. I mean, mm. to become a taxi driver here in America compared to the UK or Germany, it's like a world of a difference. But um, yeah, 100%. That's another thing to think about. When, it, and I think back to the beginning of what y'all said is like, well, how, how do you do all these different things? For me, I look at YouTube as, oh, this, you know, first real estate gave me a, a good net worth because I was able to buy real estate. I became a millionaire from buying good deals. So then I took that money and I'm like, I'm going to go all in on YouTube. And I built out this studio and everything, which was great because I finished that right before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and everybody's watching YouTube. And I'm like, how convenient. That's totally lucky timing. But the capital from YouTube or uh, from real estate and the business experience and the people experience and the present- uh, presenting experience, all of that came from real estate. 
because I did it all day long. Sit down with random people in a coffee shop. Okay, here's how to understand finance, right? Uh, and you're talking to totally random people all the time, just like on YouTube. But then that capital from YouTube is now going into making it easier for us to do a real estate startup or to buy a plane or to, to do the broker dealer stuff we're doing. It's life gets a lot easier or the business opportunities get easier when you have capital. So as an entrepreneur, when you get started, your number one goal is how do I get that first set of capital? For some people, actually, and, and it's frustrating when sometimes when entrepreneurs hear it because they don't want to hear it. But for some people, it's you have a regular career where you get experience, you buy a house, you get some equity going, and then you use that as you're building your side hustle. Is there also a lesson in there in finding one thing at the start and going all in on that? Because obviously you're focused on loads of things, but yeah. for beginners, presumably it's important to not get distracted. Oh, 100%. It's so easy to get distracted. And, and that's a big problem. You really have to, even today, it sounds like I'm going in different directions. All of these things I'm doing, the, the real estate startup, uh, YouTube, and the brokerage world, they're all part of one end goal that we're creating. And so it's a laser focus on that. And so people come to me and they're like, okay, well, what about this idea? What about this idea? And look, does that align with the laser? And if it doesn't, I don't want to do it. I'll, I'll do that in the future. You know, we'll save that for if something else doesn't work or whatever. Laser focus, very important. And where does that laser point for you? Well, it, it'll end up probably being some kind of... Uh, broker dealer that uh, tries to turn real estate into like a vanguard, like the uh, the institutional vanguard where you you have, you know, a uh, hundred different funds that you can invest into, except it's like, instead of like a, you know, VTI total stock market index or whatever, it's like, here are your hundred different real estate funds that you can- When I was doing a bit of research, I was actually wondering, how can you get away with calling it the vanguard of real estate? Like, yeah, so- uh, laws well, about that? Well, so uh, first of all, uh, Vanguard, the company that we're talking about, uh, their trademark doesn't include real estate funds, right, okay. first of all. Uh, second of all, uh, Vanguard can also be defined as like a group of people who are doing something new. Mm. So we're, 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 that's our primary definition of it. Uh, but uh, it's also a goal to, to it's, it's easier to model out like, hey, we want to do what they're doing in the real estate world, which is separate from their trademark anyway. So mm. they might get mad anyway at some point, but we think based on what we read, we're okay. If they have a problem, they can call us. <laughs> it's, it's a smart way to get that trust with your brand that's associated with Vanguard. So uh, maybe, maybe, but uh, yeah, you <laughs> allegedly, know, yeah, 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 exactly, allegedly. So, so um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, always, uh, always doing new things, but not getting distracted. And so I think that's a really good thing that you brought up. When I started in real estate sales, you just had a, I was all in on real estate, but I was still going to college. People were like, how do you become a real estate agent while you're still going to college? And so I, I looked at this and I've been looking at this so much lately too, is if you sleep seven hours a day, that's what, 49 hours. How many hours you got in a week? You got 168 hours in the week, 168 hours minus uh, 49 hours of sleep. You got 119 hours. That's almost three 40 hour a week jobs. People are exhausted doing one 40 hour a week job. So when I was going to college, it was like a 50 hour job and a 50 hour job. And then 20 for like, you got to shower and eat and like nonsense and stuff too, right? But uh, there's surprisingly a lot of time. So if as an entrepreneur, you go through and you look at, well, rather than cutting out more sleep, what can you do to be even more efficient during your actual productive day? That's when you'll make more money. Speaking of real estate, you've spoken a little bit about owning your own home. A lot of people will suggest that you should rent your home and then buy to rent out to others. What are your thoughts on that concept? I think it's stupid. I, I think you should uh, own your own home. Yeah, But the problem is uh, owning your own home comes with a risk. The risk is that you overspend. 
Uh, that's a big risk. And so if you can own a home without overspending, you can use it as a tool for your businesses and your startups. Here's what I mean. You go buy a fixed dropper, 5% down, you know, $500,000. It's $25,000. Now puts you in control of $500,000 of an asset. That sucker goes up 10% in value over whatever time frame it is. That's $50,000 of extra equity that you could touch. Well, if you can pull that out with a credit line or whatever, now you have money available to go do business. That's how I started expanding my real estate investments. It's how I started my first real estate, uh, like business expansions. For example, I, I bought a house, got a credit line on it, uh, used that to buy my first rental, then got a credit line on that rental. And then I took money from that to spend like 80 grand, which was like a third of my net worth on a TV commercial for my real estate business. So I did this professional real estate TV commercial, uh, you know, shot it actually here in, in Hollywood and hired somebody to do it out here. And uh, it was really effective, not on TV, ironically. I spent too much money on TV and that didn't really do anything. Ironically, it was so good. People were like, oh, I thought that was a national TV commercial, not a local TV commercial. Like, dang it. But anyway, I would take the video and I'd go to presentations with people and I'd go, oh, here's my TV commercial that's airing. People would be like, where do I sign? <laughs> right? So, but there's an example where I took money from real estate and I used it to expand the business and then that made me money. Would you say that's, appli that's applicable in the UK and Europe? Because obviously house prices are a lot more expensive down south and in London. And maybe does it make as much sense to buy a property there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes sense to buy real estate wherever you live and wherever you need to be. Uh, and it just might mean smaller. So if I'm going to buy a $500,000 place in Manhattan, I'm going to get, you know, uh, not even a one bedroom. I'm going to get a studio that's like 400 square feet, right? I spend 500K in, in Tampa. I'm going to get a four bedroom, two and a half bath, right? So it, it comes down to what, um, what, what, what your needs are. My big thing for an entrepreneur is how can you minimize your commute? Because if you're, if you want to be a, like a property agent in London, you better live in London. Because if you're commuting in, and don't you guys have like a tax now on cars driving into the yeah, city too? Yeah. I mean, like you you got to be in where you're working. Mm -hmm. uh, so my my office is uh, like a 45 second commute away on a go kart, mm -hmm. uh, and that's because like if I'm going to be working in an area, I, I got to be close. I got to be where the team is. I got to be where the people are. Uh, and it's the same thing in real estate. Like if you're going to invest in an area, you have to be there regularly. So also why I bought a plane? I got to be there regularly. Otherwise, how am I supposed to know if the neighborhoods are turning the crap? Or, you know, deals are starting to fall apart in terms of like property valuations, which we're starting to see right now in some areas. You spoke about like buying a home and yeah. then, you know, leveraging it to get more money to, yeah. to keep going, putting, you know, ridiculous amounts of money into a TV campaign. Do you ever worry about like overextending and, and losing it all? Because you're obviously a very wealthy man at the moment, but could yeah. it go wrong? Oh, oh, of course. I mean, otherwise, I, like if I didn't want anything to go wrong, I'd just retire. But, yeah. but then I would feel like dying because like yeah. I... I don't know. I went to Florida because uh, I used to, as a child, always go on wave runners and I'm like, oh, I'm going to rent a wave runner. And I went on and I'm like, this is great. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I, I need to get back to work. Like I got this weird itch to get back to work. So there's always risk if you take on leverage. And there are a lot of people who could be very careless with leverage. You see that now people want to, uh, oh, we're going to buy this place and we're going to borrow everything and we're going to turn it into an Airbnb and then you lose everything because you're being reckless. Lending is the, the quickest way to go to zero, is, is borrowing, basically. Uh, so uh, my big thing for making sure you're safe in that is twofold. Either you're making enough money to cover those payments or you have enough money to pay that debt off. Mm. So for me, 
uh, that was, okay, well, we're going to borrow on this credit line. It was a home equity line of credit. And even if I made just interest-only payments for 10 years, it would roll into a 20-year fully amortized loan. So in English, it would just pay off over 30 years. And I'm like, okay, can I make that payment? And the answer is yes. And I was confident I could make the payment. So for example, we bought our first house. The payment was 2,000 bucks. I was barely making that. Uh, and then my wife was also making an income. But we're looking at it and we're like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Well, first of all, we were at zero. Like our net worth was like 6,000 bucks each, maybe $9,000 each. We're like, okay, well, we're basically at zero. How do we not go bankrupt taking on a you know $400,000 home loan and doing all these renovations. I mean, we're spending 4X our net worth on renovating this place. And we're told there's asbestos, and, you know, bad things, right? Uh, and that's scary. And so we look and we go, well, two things. One, if we go bankrupt, we went from 9,000 to zero. It's not a big fall. <laughs> like, big deal, right? You're basically at zero anyway. So there's a little bit of a luxury of being at zero because you can take a little more risk. But the second thing is we looked and go, okay, 30-year mortgage, payments 2,000 bucks a month. Can we rent this place out for 2,000 bucks a month? Like, can we rent out rooms and help us make the payments? What do we need to, can we sell it for a profit if we needed to because we got a good deal? All of those were true and we're like, let's do it. Did your attitude to risk change when you had kids or when your net worth you know, grew because you got more to lose, haven't you? And now it doesn't just affect your life, it affects yeah. theirs. Yeah, um, I, no, <laughs> uh, it probably should have, but it didn't. Uh, if, if anything, I feel like I'm, I've taken on even more risk, which is weird, just because they're a risk too. I mean, now we're going to have four kids here soon. They're expensive. But I, I guess I have this belief that, well, so I'm going through all these business developments and the, the real estate startup, the Series 7, 63, 65, you know, 24, 14, all these licenses, it's crazy. I guess I have this confidence that even if all of my ideas failed, I'd be able to get a job somewhere and pay the bills. Mm. <laughs> so and, and we'll figure it out. If not, I guess. Yeah. But uh, surprisingly in America, I feel like if, if you provide value, it's it's really difficult to go to zero. Even if you, as long as you don't end up in jail, like a fraud, right? You go lose all your money and you get fired from your job, then you just get another job. As long as you're still able to work hard and you know you're not disabled or something, you know, knock on wood, then uh, you should be able to to survive. Maybe that means you have to downsize a little, but you can still pay the bills. I mean, even even Jordan Balford went to jail and yeah. he got all these lawsuits against him, but yeah. now he's doing better than ever because yes. he can sell the the training courses and stuff. So I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you could do that. <laughs> There's always something you could do. You know, it's interesting, Jordan Belfort, He, uh, I think he has to pay. So let's say he makes a million bucks. I think he has to pay the first half uh, in restitution. So he'll go from a million to 500K. Then he has to pay taxes, which will probably in California be like another half, right? Mm. So when he makes a million, he really only makes like 250. Isn't that crazy? And why is that? Because he's still got debts outstanding that he wasn't able to pay or? I think that's the restitution from uh, from like the uh, the, the people who uh, were, were I, don't, I don't know if it was defrauded or what, from the penny stock mm. days or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think that was an agreement that he has to repay all of the money that people lost uh, up to a maximum of 50% of his income. That sh you should fact check that, but I believe that's correct. And I was just thinking about that because what you're saying is so right. Even somebody who went through all of that and then prison, you know, basically went from losing everything, prison, now literally 
only makes 25 cents on the dollar of money they're making. They're still living on the beach in Hermosa, okay? <laughs> like, they're still doing quite okay. So if they could do it, yeah, I mean, you, you can if make If you it. look at his net worth, I think yeah. it's like minus 100 million or something. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just yeah. crazy. But obviously, he's still living the good life. Sure. It just yeah. proves, it does prove your point. Well, because that 25 cents left over still mm. affords nice dinners 100%. and a boat or whatever, right? <laughs> when you look up uh, your net worth on yeah. uh, Google, it says 60 million. Yeah. How accurate is that? Uh, well, it's a little high uh, now, uh, but uh, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's probably not horribly far off with all these different businesses and stuff we got going on. The uh, the big thing for me is uh, the, the plane. What's the plane's depreciation going to look like? You know, right now I got an offer from a plane broker. He's like, I'll pay you 12 for your plane right now. Uh, but but and then he wrote in the in the memo, he's like, but that's negotiable. We'll go up. And I'm like, okay, okay. So if he's like 12.5, have I only lost 400K owning the plane for the first year? Uh, so, you know, if that plane goes to zero, that's going to hurt because I still owe nine and a half on the sucker. You know, but right now it's a positive contributor to net worth. <laughs> so the Americans are so direct when it comes to the, the answer of that question. In the UK, when we ask someone this question, they always, you know, skirt around it, which isn't a bad thing. Sure. But the Americans, it's just like, I feel like every single person is just bang on it. It's, I think it's, it's interesting. really interesting. That it's just like a, that's becoming, that didn't used to be that way in America. I think mm. it's becoming more and more so. And, and that'll mm. spread to the UK as well over time. We're always about 10 years behind with mm. our attitudes to certain things. Everyone, they just want to pull you down. They don't want to you know, raise you up when you're doing well. It's the crabs in a bucket effect, isn't it? Yeah, well, crabs in the bucket. I've never thought about that analogy. That's a good yeah, one. When yeah, when a, a crab don't... tries to escape, they just pull it back down. <laughs> exactly like that. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, um, you guys still use stick shift over there too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, uh... <laughs> not, not on every car. Not on every... It's changing. Yours isn't. Uh, no, 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 none of us drive a stick shift. <laughs> yeah, my, mine isn't. Mine's an electric car anyway, like, oh, yeah. like a Tesla. Especially if you were to get like an old car, you know, when people first pass their driving test, maybe they're 17, 18, they'll buy a 2006, 2007 sure. car and that will always be stick shift pretty much. It's probably good to learn. Uh, I, I, all I learned with stick was if you can't find it, grind it, Yeah, <laughs> but, but I hate that mostly because when you go in parking structures in Europe, it's, I don't know how y'all do it, but trying to get up and down the parking structures with a stick. Oh yeah. No, thanks. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think everyone learns in a stick and then they get, they can obviously drive both then because yeah, yeah, the, exactly. The yeah. Options. I mean, you don't have to, my, my girlfriend just went straight for the automatic cause she didn't want to deal with it. But like yes. most people would do that. But speaking of driving, I mean, I'm not having a, a great time here. Um, driving the car. It's, it's <laughs> well, wild this, over here. I, I try to avoid this area. Yeah. I make this joke that when we uh, uh, fly to San Diego, for example, which is could be like a four-hour drive because it's hell when you go through like LA and Anaheim. When we fly there, the plane takes off from, from Ventura, goes out to the ocean and triangles into San Diego. <laughs> now they do that to avoid LAX, mm. but I'm like, I don't even want the LA air. <laughs> Really? <laughs> like I, I really dislike LA. I won't buy real estate in LA. I'm, I'm not an LA kind. Of the, the cars are just so big here. It's just so difficult. I drive a yeah. Golf, and at, people are aggressive, so it's small. Yeah. But like yeah. we, me and Tom, oh, were they're going beeping out the other so night. much. Yeah, as well. the, the light aggressive. goes green. Yeah. You don't move for one second, oh, and they're yeah. all beeping. And me and Tom was going out the other night, so we pulled out of here, went right, driving. Cars so big. I've smashed into some guy's wing mirror. I've took the thing clean off. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it literally. And looks we have like a rental car as well, so I'm hoping. Oh my life, I, this isn't damaged because they're going to do you for a ton. Yeah, but it's oh, not. Yeah. Um, but it looks like it's been mauled by bears. And of course, the guy stood right outside when it happened and all that stuff. So it's like, oh, for God's sake. So I had to, you know, chat to him. I paid him $300 just to just to settle Smart. it there and leave it. Good. I can't be bothered to deal with that. Yeah. But it's just like, of course, that happens. Good thing you had 300 on you? No, I got him in the car, took him to a cash point. 
Oh, wow. Smart. <laughs> Sold okay. it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, sometimes that's bad. Honestly, you probably dodged a bullet there because uh, what happens is people, they'll take it into they, they take it to the shop. They talk to their friends and family and they're like, oh, well, I think that's broken too. And that's broken too. And all of a sudden it turns into yeah. a few thousand dollars. And the yeah. energy. Yeah. That oh. you exert just thinking about it, worrying about it, just pay and move on with your day. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the other thing is sometimes I think even in entrepreneurship, we get so caught up in in little things yeah. that don't matter. It's like, focus on the big thing. You know, cut the check for mm. the little crap and just focus on the mission, you know? Yeah. So, so bringing cool. it back to your net worth quickly, mm. um, where do you allocate your money at the moment? And where do you recommend other people should be investing? Good question. Yeah, so uh, my big vision is uh, you should uh, ideally... Uh, and it's not for everyone because it depends what stage of life you're in, right? But for entrepreneurs, I'm a big fan of get into your home first. So for me, uh, in, at the beginning of my journey, I was almost all real estate. So I started with with stocks and I had all my money in stocks, but I dumped all of that to buy real estate. Buy real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate. Uh, and once you have a good amount of real estate, I'd say probably a 500 to $1 million net worth, then expose yourself to stocks. The reason for that is simple. When you put 5% down, so 25K on a 500K home, uh, you are getting appreciation over time on that 500. You put that 25K into the stock market, it's going to take a long time for you to, to make 50 grand. I mean, to make 50 grand, your 25 would have to turn into 75. You'd have to triple your money in the stock market. Triple money in stock market or 10% appreciation in real estate. But could you put 5% down in the UK? It's much higher, I, I right? don't think you can do that. I think it'd have to be like 20%, yeah, but I don't know yeah. if you know any better. Uh, I think there are some first-time homebuyer programs maybe that could get you down to 10 in the UK, mm. maybe. But yeah, usually, traditionally, it's 20%. And what, what everybody should do in whatever world they're in, just put down what you need to put down. Whatever the rules are, take the rules and do it. Is, it, is there an argument to say, though, that that... 20% down payment that someone puts in a house that's now locked in that house, they could have put that to better use investing back into their business mm. to generate more revenue later down the line. Because mm. now, say someone saved up 30 grand, they put it all in a house. Now they're starting from zero again. Yeah, well, I mean, the money's still there. It's still your net worth. It's a good savings account. The, the problem with, I think, a lot of us uh, as entrepreneurs when we get started is this idea that we need money to make money. When... Having money makes making more money easier. When you first start out as an entrepreneur, what matters most is not your money, it's your time. It's the value you can provide. So when I started my real estate business, I started by passing the $600 licensing test. And I'm like, I need a website. I didn't hire somebody for 30 grand to make a website. I made the website. I learned how to do the website. I didn't hire a designer for my real estate sites. I went and learned Photoshop and threw it together. And then I you know, paid like a sign guy. I'm like, here's my design. I don't wanna pay you for the designing. Like I just need the cheapest sign possible. And I could revise that over time. So as the business made money, then I could reinvest money into the business, get better signs, get a better website or whatever. But uh, I, I think one of the risks of a starting entrepreneur is taking some money that they got, whether they saved up 10, 20 grand or whatever, and then they blow it all super fast. Well, I need to be like the big boys. I need a big website. I need a, big, I need a fancy car. Everybody does that. Everybody gets the fancy car. Uh, and uh, if you have the mission of buying real estate, whether it's 20% down or whatever it is, then your focus becomes, let's make money from the business. What can I do myself? And how do I lower my debt to income ratio? Which means you're not borrowing for a new car, which means you're learning how to do the website and the design and you're learning how to provide more value. So in my opinion, 
that lockup of money is actually a tool. And then you get excited because hopefully after a few years, you're like, oh, I bought a good deal and you're up in money. And they're like, wait, let's let's do more of that. And it, and it becomes a motivator for work. That's a good way to look at it. I've always worried about being too illiquid, you know, investing in real estate. I've yeah. always gone with watches, stocks and crypto. Yeah. Do you think, because I haven't got any real estate, do you think I should sell some of that stuff and buy real estate instead? Is that the better move to make? I put a lot of money back into the business as well. Of course, these trips that we go on, they cost 20, 30 grand a piece just to come here with all the equipment. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, the real estate market's in a funny time, but usually I'm a big fan of buying real estate that's a fixer upper, Mm -hmm. like a, a good deal in an area, really no matter what the market is, because you want to buy below market and that insulates you. I'd be a big fan, like if I saw a good deal wherever you lived, and you're like, this is my neighborhood. I know all the houses here. I know which street's the best street. Or you saw a good deal that came up. You're like, oh, I can fix that up. I would buy it hands down. I don't care what it would take to liquidate here, there, whatever. I personally would buy it. I don't know, obviously, the rest of your financial situation. So it's hard to address that. Uh, but uh, I'm a, I'm such a big fan of real estate from uh, the, the, um, the leveraged appreciation side. But also, it's a lot more liquid than we t- generally think. So I'll give you a couple examples on that. When uh, the pandemic hit, I, uh, I, it was uh, the Federal Reserve came out and said, we're striking rates to zero. And everybody my whole career was always like, real estate's not liquid, real estate's not liquid. It's true. I can't turn it to cash tomorrow, right? It's going to take 30 days. So real estate's not liquid. And so I, uh, uh, rates go down to zero. And that was on a Sunday. It was some emergency meeting on a Sunday. And I called my lender who lives in my neighborhood. And I'm like, tomorrow, we need to refinance everything. And uh, so at the time we had like eight or nine properties and uh, uh, he's like, all right, here are all the applications. And I put in all these refinance applications because I was quick. I dodged the bullet of like two weeks later, everybody else and their mom wanting to start refinancing properties. So my stuff was early in the line. I got my money within about 27 days refinancing equity out of these properties. That was about $2 million. Well, that was really convenient because then it was about the beginning of April 2020 when the stock market was like at the bottom and just dumped it all into stocks. So I created liquidity pretty dang fast. The same thing could be done if you needed to sell a place. You could sell a place pretty quickly. I'd say within 45 days, you could sell it. Uh, And as long as you buy a normal property. So surprisingly, real estate can be liquid. But here's why the 30 days is actually a good thing. You're not so rash. See, with stocks or, or crypto, we can move it so freaking quickly. We're like, this is a good idea. Liquidate everything. And then you change your mind a week later and you're like, crap. So true. All I've ever done with stocks is make <laughs> dumb decisions. Oh, you sold fast. Tesla too early, yeah, didn't you? And then it had the big boom. It's Every decision is, is bad. What does your like wife say about these things? Because I remember when you actually made a video about <laughs> yeah. you doing that and then, you know, uh, refinancing the properties. Yeah. But what does she say when it's like, I've just refinanced every single property and I've got 2 million and I've thrown it into Tesla stock. <laughs> is she like, right, here we go again, Kevin. Like, is, that, is that where it went, Tesla stock then? Uh, it was Tesla, then it was a, it was a lot of Tesla, mm. uh, but it was also like Carnival Cruise Lines and mm. like stuff like that. Everything that was like in the toilet back then. Yeah, it was mm. kind of stupid stuff. So how do you pick the best stocks though? Oh, I mean, that's like an art. I, and and I, don't, I don't think there's, a, there's a, a definite way because you could... Like we do these analyses all the time. We're like, fundamentally, this is undervalued. And the sucker just keeps going straight mm. down. This is the freaking stock market. You know, the thing you have to keep in mind with the stock market is when even a really good stock that has a bad trend, can pe- people will just short it. 
because the trend is their friend. So all of a sudden, so you could be the person screaming at the top of your lungs, this is the best company ever, and value goes down. Doesn't matter. Real estate's not like that. Real estate, you don't you don't have this. It's not like they're like these short sellers who are <laughs> manipulating all the prices uh, because of trends. Uh, there, there are no moving averages people trade on or care about. So uh, you only have people buying on fundamentals, which is mm. their monthly payment or what can I sell it for or what can I rent it for? So it's a very fundamental-based market. Stocks is not. It's very trends and fundamental. So that makes it really frustrating and hard. Uh, you know, I think as a, as a general rule of thumb, People probably are mostly after the pandemic under diversified. They should spread out to like a you know some ETFs or whatever that have multiple different stocks in in a segment. It takes the stress away because when you see this all day long and like the best way to know if you are under diversified is if every day you're picking up your phone like four times a day and you're typing in one or two ticker symbols. And you're like, what's that stock doing right now? <laughs> if you're doing that, you're probably under diversified. And it's totally normal. Like everybody does it. But it's like, okay, yeah, maybe uh, nobody does that in real estate. It's so much more peaceful. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, I'm a big fan of both. It's really rare, by the way, to have somebody who's a real estate broker also be a financial advisor or a stockbroker, which I'm basically all three of them. Uh, not officially a stockbroker yet, but financial advisor, yes. Real estate broker, yes. And just passed my test on stockbroker. But anyway, um, usually those are different worlds. The real estate agents, they're like, oh, you're going to a financial advisor? You're an idiot. And then the financial advisors are like, oh, you're going to a realtor? You're an idiot. <laughs> and they're both going, that person makes commissions. <laughs> they're just doing this, man. So you've actually started your own ETF. Yes. Can you yep. tell us about that? Creating an ETF is really cool because there's some cool tax benefits in an ETF. Uh, because if you, I'll give you an example. To run an ETF costs like right now $500,000 a year. It's insane. And you have to have about $40 million of assets in it just to break even. So who uh, do you have to pay that money to, the, the 500K? Well, it goes to, uh, this, this is, remember when we started with the inefficiencies? Mm -hmm. This is like the definition of inefficiencies. There are like managers of managers of managers of managers. It, it, this is like this insane, incompetent list of companies. And it's absolutely ridiculous. But I mean, it's it's accounting, it's legal, it's transfer agent, which is someone with a spreadsheet of who owns the stock. It's market makers. It's the New York Stock Exchange. It's, uh, it's a person who coordinates it all like a real estate agent. It's a disaster. One day that'll all be simplified. But it, today it's so inefficient. Uh, anyway, so uh, the cool thing about it, though, is you can do these these exchanges uh, where if you have gains on stock, you can actually trade that stock for another stock and then not pay taxes if you know if there are gains. So those are one of the cool things about an ETF. I think in the future, everybody should have an ETF of their own so they can do oh, really? that. Well, mm -hmm. because think about it. It, it. Right now, you need a retirement account to do that, mm -hmm. but you can't touch that money until you're retired. And I was like, well... You know, retirement accounts are cool and all, but like, I don't know if I'm going to be 65 one day. I don't know if I'm going to make it. You know, <laughs> like, I want, I want my capital now. You I know? think that's why we're lucky with an ISA in the UK. I think you can do that. Kind of, you can sell stocks and retain the money in your ISA and then buy other stocks. Wow. So you can yeah. change the allocation. Yeah, with the ISA, Good. the ISA is very powerful. Like, you mm. can pretty much do like what you want. That's what it feels like. Like, there's no, but there is a limit of 20,000 yeah. a year. 
So uh, and those are the the limits are hit you. Yeah, that's where they but, get you. But you can you know yeah sell the stock, buy the stock, pull it out, put it in, whatever you want to do. That's like a retirement account here mm. then, where you don't pay taxes within that, but you're yeah. limited to contributions that you can make. But yep. could, but can you only pull out a certain amount, or you can't pull it out until a certain age? There are little penalties and and things that go yeah, against it's you, aren't there? Similar to that he, uh, here, I don't know how it is there. Yeah, but, the ISA doesn't have that. Oh, it doesn't. No. So it sounds like a Roth. So here you could do a Roth, which unless you do like a mega backdoor, you could do like what is it, like 6K or whatever a year, and you pay taxes first, hmm. you put it in, you can do whatever you want, you don't pay taxes on the gains, and you can take the principal out, but you can't take the gains out until you've retired. Hmm. So what is this thing that what, that you're talking oh, about? Oh, and we can take the gains out whenever well, you can we take want. The we can take the yeah, gains No penalties. Out. No penalties. See, that's great. The, the, yeah, only, that's really the great. only downside to it is, is like uh, it's mentioned, that you can only put 20K in, yeah. and then if you pull... 10k out yeah. you obviously won't get that limit back like you've wasted oh. it for that year so you would have to wait until the next tax, tax okay, year okay so but it's refresh. 20 per year yeah yeah, yeah which is okay for most people you know well, it, absolutely especially yeah. since you y'all have pounds which are i mean that's like 30k out here yeah or whatever it is i now, mean you know. i would it's say worse <laughs> on, on average people probably aren't making 1.6k a month and to put 20k a year in it would have to be what 1666 a month or something like that mm -hmm. so it's incredibly it's a lot that you can put that's in. Powerful. People can't really max that out. Yeah, that's powerful for, for I mean, uh, things like that. I mean, I have to look into more of the details. I've never heard of it until now, but uh, stuff like that, take advantage of it, if, especially yeah. if you could use it to you know, take it out and buy a home or whatever, or fund your business. Great. Anytime you can avoid taxes, and that's why I created the ETF. So is all your money in the ETF at the moment? And do you actually make money from it? Is, is it more of a way for you just to trade stocks? Well, uh, so I, I'm not a big trader. I will rebalance. Yeah. But in America, you get punished for rebalancing because mm. you have to pay taxes on those gains. Uh, uh, so I've got a bunch of money in, in my own ETF, but uh, we have a bunch of other people who've invested mm. money as well. That ETF has like 40 million in it now, which is great because that's about the threshold where it starts breaking even. Mm. Now I'm contributing to some of that break even, but I went into you know ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange thinking, uh oh, I'm gonna have to pay 500k a year now, and uh, and and now it's zero, and I have my own ETF. So it's kind of cool. I'm very grateful that we've been able to grow it to that. And so yeah. how was that experience actually going in and ringing the bell? Because I watched a bit of the the video. Thank it, you for it that. Awesome. It's it is. I mean, it's kind of surreal. I, I relate everything to video games. I played RuneScape and World of Warcraft and, and every Xbox game, you know, Halo, Splinter Cell, whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, it, it was kind of like I, I played this game in RuneScape and I always remember uh, sitting outside of what was called the Mining Guild. And it was like only the fancy people could go inside the Mining Guild. Like you had to be qualified to open the door. And uh, uh, to me, opening that door to the stock exchange felt like finally getting into the mining guild in the video game. So I've turned my whole life into a video game. And it was it was amazing. It was really rewarding. And it's, it's, it's super cool. Uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again sometime. It's really cool. I think it's really awesome how um, having this ETF is it PP? Is, is yeah, cool. yep, that's it. But why do you choose that name? Pricing Just... power, of course. You know, you get a pricing power stocks. Isn't there know. a thing with ticker symbols? If it sounds funny, then it usually it does better. Who knows? Yeah. But I, what's funny about pricing power? It's just PP, man. We like large PP. When we look at companies, we're like, we want the biggest set of pricing power we can get. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what I think is cool is when you can go into, you know, investor meetings and speak to Elon Musk, how was that experience? And I think you actually had a an impact on it, didn't you? He, he's saying that he's going to do more marketing and advertising now. Yeah, he says that uh, it was really cool. Uh, that was like an honor and a kind of a fluke how that happened because 
I, I I didn't even have a seat when I got there. I kind of, I, I, I don't like showing up super early to, I honestly, I don't even like going to events. I just kind of want to stay at home and play Legos with my kids. Uh, but anyway, so I got there and I'm like, oh, this place is full. I'm like, I'll just, I'll just hang out in the back. So I started sitting down at one of these tables and what, uh, I think the lady who was running the whole show, she's like, oh no, no, come up here. And she pulled me up and put me like right behind the board. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, this is cool. <laughs> so I'm like right there with like, uh, uh, you know, Kimball Musk and the other board members. And uh, then it came time to questions. And I'm like, okay, I'll go ask a question. I get up and there are all these lines. I mean, probably 10, 20 people in each line, three different lines. And the same lady's like, oh, no, 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 no. we'll put you right here. Put me in the second in line to ask a question. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, they really want me to ask a question. I'm like, okay. I didn't even know what I was going to ask. I'm like, all right, I'll ask you about this. So I, I wrote down some things as I was standing there really quickly. And uh, yeah, it was pretty surreal to uh, to ask Elon, like, hey, you know, you're talking about all these benefits of, of uh, Teslas, but people don't know about these. Why don't you advertise some of this? And at first he was very reluctant, kind of like the eye roll, like, oh, here we go again, because he's heard it before. But uh, but after we're like, but, you know, people don't know and convinced him a little more. The fact that he said, all right, we'll try a little bit of advertising and everybody erupted in cheers. That was like a peak Tesla moment for me, for sure. That was weird. Do you think he'll actually do it? Uh, Probably not. Like, I I think he'll dabble a little bit and like, okay. And I think they've done it to some extent, like, oh, throw some Tesla ads in magazines or whatever. I've seen some of that, but real mainstream advertising. Elon just has a personal like vendetta against the mainstream media and government. Uh, And uh, people get mad at me when I say it, but I think he's a little too aggressively anti mainstream media and government. Like, he hates the SEC so much. Like, he will clickbait the SEC. And these are not people you should clickbait. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll go sit down with you for your subpoena on the 14th. And then it's like, a week, it was, was just all in a lawsuit. He's like, I'll meet you on September 14th. Uh, and then it's like September 10th rolls around. And he's like, just kidding. How about the 15th? <laughs> and they're like, okay, we'll accommodate you. And then September 13th rolls around. He's like, just kidding. I don't want to do it at all. And the SEC is like, how, how about now? Like, have you thought about it again? Like, can we reschedule you anywhere in the country? Like, we'll meet you. Like, please come meet us. No. <laughs> you know, like, why are you doing this? So there are definitely some things he does that I think shoot him in the foot. Mm. Advertising is probably one of those. Uh, but uh, but that's also what kind of led Elon to be successful, going back to mm. entrepreneurship, is, you know, he's so convinced on some of his things. That's what gives him the power. Like, this is going to work. I'm going to succeed at building these electric cars, or you want to be a realtor or a contractor or whatever, you got to have that belief. Something I really admire about you is your unshakable confidence. Like you said, you didn't know what you were going to ask and you just went up there and you wrote a few notes and boom, you said something succinct and and really well. And you did the same thing when you um, were representing yourself, uh, when you were going for the the Meet Kevin name in uh, in court. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I thought that was just really, really good. It was really inspirational seeing you actually just take control and just take the floor with your iPad and uh, your different notes. So how was that experience, um, you know, representing yourself? Yeah, so that was when I was running for governor and uh, I still feel like I got screwed uh, in that that court hearing. Mm. But basically there are two parts of a ballot. There's your name and then there's the byline. So think about it like Donald Trump and then the Trump organization. You're not allowed to say the Trump organization below. You could say like Mm. businessman and former president. Fine. That has rules. But your name doesn't have those rules and nicknames are allowed in there. And so my nickname's Meet Kevin. Everybody knows me as Meet Kevin. People walk up to me in the street and they're like, oh, it's Meet Kevin. So I petitioned to have Meet Kevin Paffrath in there. There's, there were other people with nicknames on the ballot, but they're like, no, 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 that's a business. I'm like, oh, first. anyway, so I'm fighting with the judge about this. 
But, uh, and of course I lost because the judge, uh, what I was told is the judges in California, they want to become federal judges and the governor of California might run for president. So if they do good for him now, maybe they'll become a federal judge. By I, I felt later. like they weren't even listening to you <laughs> yeah, though. Like yeah. you were saying all this stuff and you know, everyone on YouTube thinking, yeah, you're definitely going to get this. I thought she was going to give it <laughs> to you at the end. But then it just felt like she was glazed over. They weren't even interested and they knew what they were going to say before you even mm. took the stage. It did feel that way a little bit, that like the decision was already made. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's politics for you. I don't, I don't, it's why I don't like politics because you can't, you have no control. So why did you run for governor of California? Because then? I, th I don't know. I thought I could make a difference and I thought I had really good ideas and the homelessness crisis was so bad and, and the money spending in California was so bad. Now we're in a massive deficit. You know, the people dying on the street. I'm like, this is the time to do it, to kick this governor out. Uh, but, uh, you know, as soon as the Delta variant came around, they turned the whole, you know, the Republicans are going to take your masks away and you're going to die. And, and then they got reelected. Would, would you try again? Probably not for like 30 years. <laughs> like, do, do you think that the corruptness is sort of put you off here a bit going into court and have them not listen to you when you're trying to get your point across? And yeah. I feel like the whole system is very shady. And I think there's a lot of things that go on that shouldn't. And I think so. I, I don't know if it's like blatant, like... I don't think these people wake up in the morning and they're like, I'm corrupt. Mm -hmm. I think they wake up and they're like, I'm going to do what's best for California. And they're like, they're like entitled with this opinion of, well, Kevin's not best. Therefore, I will rule against you. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it's like this elevated. It's not corrupt, but it is kind of thing. Right. So, uh, yeah, if you want to win in the Dem Party in California or, or really probably any liberal location, you have to be like in the party. You have to be within it and, and rise within the ranks. Whereas in the Republican Party, you can kind of come in from the outside. Now, I ran as a Democrat in California, but I consider myself as like a moderate, like 51, 49. Speaking about lawsuits, I don't know how much you can talk about, yeah. but what's happening with the FTX situation? Yeah, FTX. So my understanding is, so, well, first of all, well, let's sum that really quick. Uh, FTX uh, paid me about $122,000, I think is the exact number. And uh, we would do sponsored videos with them. And they had a very good platform. Uh, and so we we're just like we've been sponsored by Webull or Robinhood or whatever. We were sponsored by them, which unfortunately now is like a scar on us because like they turned out to be a big fraud. But we couldn't have known that. Couldn't have known that. Didn't know that. I thought stable coins were going to fall apart. I never thought in my life that the brokerages would fall apart. In fact, I lost over $420,000 investing in BlockFi. Mm. I thought that was a funny number. Maybe the joke's on me because I lost it all. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually worried about yeah. them. I took my money out because I was yeah. thinking, where, how are they making these loans and giving this you know, yeah. such good returns and percentages when actually it was uh, probably it's, a big Ponzi? It was know? a big Ponzi. Yeah, yeah and, and it makes sense now in hindsight. Mm. You know, everything makes sense in hindsight. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember uh, two years ago in like Jan of 2021 when crypto was booming. I'm like, I don't know, man, these stable coins, it doesn't make sense. You know, seven to 10% really on a stable coin. I don't know, man, how many times is it being lent out? Uh, and I thought for sure they would collapse. I didn't think the brokers would go, you know, Terra Luna collapsed, mm -hmm. but it took down all the brokerages, <laughs> you know, Voyager gone, FTX gone, BlockFi gone. I mean, plenty of them, I think Celsius, it's crazy. But so where is that? So uh, we, uh, my uh, 
what what I promised is that we would do some kind of uh, creator fund with whatever money that I made and whatever is left over after any kind of litigation. So once it's officially signed and over, whatever the difference is between what it costs me to go through litigation, what's left, I'm down to donate to some kind of crypto charity or something like that to help the community. Uh, but obviously we have to get through that. Hopefully they sign off on it soon. But my understanding is that's I'm I'm basically done because we've we've agreed to close that out. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll see Sam Bankman frieds on trial now and uh, he deserves to be. So I'm kind of excited to, to see uh, to see that show. I mean, it's quite refreshing to see you talk so openly and honestly about it, because obviously there's a lot of creators that are involved in the situation yeah. that are some of them just avoid the topic completely. It's nice yeah. to see you address it talk honestly and people i think the reception presumably has been quite um kind towards that as well yeah i mean hopefully like i, I think uh, a lot of uh people who have been watching for years or they're you know um uh they understand like how could you have known right of course but then there are always like the crabs right? <laughs> that are like you're a scumbag you were associated with them you know so uh uh, yeah, I mean, that it is what it is. You kind of just have to get through that and go, look, this is what happened. It was obviously in hindsight, it's a mistake. I've made lots of mistakes. I'm sure I will keep making mistakes. Uh, I, I think you handled the situation very well. I would say that like like um, Tom said, many people didn't handle it very well. And I think that you are a force for good. And I think that your channel is, is very helpful to your viewers. And it was a mistake. And I also have the opinion of like, if it's good enough for BlackRock, then yeah. it's good enough for me. Like what more due diligence can you do than that? And then it makes you wonder, is the whole game rigged? Mm. You know, how much due diligence is BlackRock really doing? Like now, after FTX, right? Because going into it, I'm totally, I'm like you. I'm like, oh my gosh, all these huge institutions and hedge funds, they're all in this. Okay, well, I mean, they must know more than I do. That's what we think. Because they're like, the suits on Wall Street, they know all. The uh, uh, suits on Wall Street. Anyway, they know all. Uh, now, the more and more I sort of peel back the layers, like, Oh, this is how market makers work. Oh, this is how all of this works. The more I pull back the layers, I'm like, they're just like a group of entrepreneurs just like us. They're not that different from us. They, you know, they got a couple licenses and, and, and some systems in place that we don't. But beyond that, any theoretically, anyone watching this could be a market maker. Kind of crazy. So it's it's motivating because then I look and I go, okay, well, if they're messing up that much, like BlackRock in that case, boy, there's so much opportunity. It actually motivates me. So it's like, all right, well, maybe I can be BlackRock and not make those stupid mistakes. So we usually end on our famous question, um, which I'm, I'm excited to hear the answer for. When is enough enough? <laughs> Never. <laughs> there's there's no number uh, for uh, I'm always asked, what's what's the number? What what number is it where you're like, that's it, you're done. There's no number. Uh, I, I don't think I can ever retire. I think that's just me. Like I want to do things uh, all the time. Uh, I, I even think to myself, I'm like, okay, once my business are built and my, my kids are older and they're in their 20s and they want to be entrepreneurs, I'm like, what can I do for your business to like, you know, build a business with them? It's kind of like now we build Lego sets. Maybe then we can build businesses. I don't know. I, I, I never want to stop that. You know, my my wife, uh, uh, she's like, you know, work is your mistress. And uh, she's like, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think I'd be concerned for you if you had a week off, never mind retiring altogether. So uh, thank you for that. I'm sure you will be, be be going for a long, long time. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the Pleasure. podcast. Where can people um, find you? Yeah, so meetkevin.com. Uh, you can see everything there uh, or meet Kevin on YouTube. If you go to meetkevin.com, you'll see courses I have on building your wealth. My ETF is linked there. Financial advice is linked there. My real estate startups linked there. Basically everything's there. Or just meet Kevin on YouTube. 
If you guys enjoyed it as much as us, make sure to smash that thumbs up button for the YouTube algorithm and we will see you next Wednesday with a brand new podcast. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from all of us. <laughs> awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. That you was really much. good, Kevin. Thank you.